This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Julie from A Good Story is Hard to Find. Hi, I'm Misa. And we're going to talk about The Graveyard Book, a 2008 novel by uh, Neil Gaiman. Um, this is released as a children's book, and the audiobook is Harper Children's Audio. And I huh. believe it was a, it was possibly released as a children's book later. Yeah, it says adult edition, children's edition at one point. Um, hmm. Maybe in the same year. I, I was reading it in hardcover when it came out in 2008, which is something I don't really do normally. But uh, that summer, I guess it was, I had a bunch of students and uh, the school I was working at, I guess I convinced them to buy a whole stack of the books. And we <laughs> read the whole book. Like each class, we'd read, read a chapter taking turns. Yeah, mm-hmm. And uh, it is definitely a book for kids. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it's better than most adult books as well. <laughs> it absolutely is. Right? I mean, Agreed. Yeah. Uh, See, I read it when it first came out because I discovered Neil Gaiman with Neverwhere. So I was there from that point. And um, at that point, new book from him, I'm getting it. Right. Yeah. I discovered him with Coraline. And and so for okay. me, he, he started out as a kid's, as a kid's author. Ah. Um, but but this, I mean, I, I was reading uh, online and somebody said, some people love Neil Gaiman, some people hate him. And I was like, who? Who hates who Neil Gaiman? Who hate him? <laughs> Only jealousy. <laughs> people are filled with jealousy for the talent and, and sort of well, ease of effort that he puts out in. of it, doesn't it? <laughs> Pol- I can see like, where he might not seem accessible through something like The Sandman, which I people kept going, oh, go back and read those. And I just. I tried and tried. Don't start and from I, the beginning with Sandman. That's the key. Because well, the and I is not as good as, as it gets. And I, that's probably the problem for me because I went back and dutifully found the first ones. And my other problem is I just don't care for graphic novels and comics and all that. I just How dare you. How dare all those you pictures really slow it down, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's interesting what you say because he said he wanted to write this in 1985. Wow. And he didn't feel like he was good enough to do it. Wow. And, and he didn't finally get to it till 2008 like it took that long for him to feel competent enough to tackle it well i'm glad he did uh wait because what he did i i think this is a genuine classic and will be oh yeah for decades if not centuries to come mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah or forever i've read a lot of books i've read a lot uh-huh. of classics this is what a classic looks like I, yes i feel you know, like he's he's a little bit less good at some things than he is at everything. <laughs> you know, but there the thing that he's really good at is character and sentences and mm-hmm. um, really crafting language. Uh, I'm less less interested in the plot stuff. I just like spending time in his world and 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 hearing the sort of the wisdom of his his prose. He's really good. Yes. Yeah, he has a lot of insights into, I mean, just basic human beings. You know, the insight that you were saying. He he writes something and you like it because you know it's true. 
he may he may introduce evil characters who the, his evil characters are never really as fully realized it just off the top of my head mm-hmm. as the other ones because they're not really true i mean they are the foil against which we see everything else they're still interesting but you could tell i reading it this time thinking about the jungle book mm-hmm. we read before it was funny to me that he said he started with chapter four, so he's paying special attention to it. And that okay. chapter has is so yeah, that was the first chapter he wrote. He said mm. he was watching his two year old son ride his tricycle among the gravestones. Yeah, when he started writing. Oh, I've got and, that. That's that quote I was talking about. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Let's. Uh, so I got this on the Mouse Circus, I think dot net website, which is kind of Neil Gaiman's children's book website, I think. Oh. Uh, and if you click on any of his books, there's like a quote from Neil Gaiman about any of them. Um, <laughs> so it goes like this. We were young and very poor. The rooms I was renting above a shop were in a building tall and spindly and old. <laughs> you can even see the Neil Gaiman in that <laughs> sentence. <but. laughs> yeah. The kitchen and lounge were on one floor, a bedroom and my office and a bathroom on the next. And at the top of the house, there was a big attic bedroom. And a long, low, a, a long, long room in which an adult could barely stand up straight, and in which there was a crib and a playpen. My son Michael, who was two years old, loved his tricycle more than anything, but there was nowhere to ride it in the house, not with him tumbling down the stairs. So I would carry him and his tricycle across the narrow lane to the grounds of the local church, and he would pedal around to his heart's content, and I would sit and read a book in the sunshine and watch him. And look at the gray gravestones, names half erased by time, and marvel at how comfortable a child looks in a graveyard. That was where it all started. I'll call well, it the graveyard sad. book, I thought, uh, like oh. Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book. Wow. And the funny thing to me is, you know, later, and I think, Jesse, you might have been the person who pointed out, you know, this is derived from the Jungle Book, mm. but I'd read it two or three times before then, and yeah. that had not occurred to me. Yeah, it occurred so, to me after <laughs> 2008, I'm pretty sure. Or if I don't, I, it's occurred to me multiple times, possibly, but. Uh, well, yeah, because I read it, I forgot that we were doing, that we were comparing this to the Jungle Book, so that when I read it the first time, I didn't see it, but then when I was listening, mm. I was listening to it, and all of a sudden, it got to the it got to the thing where it says um, <clears throat> in the ghoul in the in the ghoul, uh, ghoul land it, it says that's them, a whole troop of little creatures were bouncing and running and leaping and heading for the path below them and before he could say another world he was snatched up by a pair of bony hands and was flying through the air in a series of jumps and lurches and the creatures blah 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 and I went oh my god yeah there it is you know like it it, it was so evocative of. Uh, of that whole monkey scene with Mowgli. Mm. I agree. That's the most obvious chapter. And, you know, reading it, you you can see all the things. Silas is Bagheera. Yeah. Is Lepescu is uh, Baloo. All these kind of things, although he makes them his own. But it, it's that chapter where you just go, wow, here's yeah. the tribute. Mm-hmm. I, Although I, also, did yeah. you like the way, just to digress for a second, the way he throws the tribute to Lovecraft in there? He- Oh yeah. Yeah, so that was, that, just... that was what I was just about to say. So Oh, I'm the, sorry. No, no, the Ghoul Gate, um I, I didn't I mean I've been reading Lovecraft for a while now, right? But I hadn't read the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath at the time I read the Jungle or the Graveyard books. So I didn't realize that that's actually also sort of being homaged in this book. 
the ghoul gate and ghoulheim and more importantly there's a whole monster in this story that is explicitly and only from lovecraft which oh. is um which is the um the rubber-faced night gons right oh. right yeah so, so if you remember, um, he's taught uh, how to say help in many languages, mm-hmm. um, yeah. including Night Gaunt, and the Night Gaunt save him a couple of times. Uh, Three, I think. Yeah, and that um, that is something Lovecraft dreamt as a child. He was haunted by these monsters. Really? Yes, and they. Uh, That's terrible. Well, yes, it's also good in a way because um, they became his friends in a certain sense as well. Well, which is familiar, kind of weird, and creepy. But they're like they they have they're eyeless and mouthless, right? They're just like these rubber helmeted things with wings and claws. But in the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, not only do they you know grab you and take you off into far lands, they also tickle you. <laughs> <laughs> just like what okay. <laughs> and so okay. um uh it it is it's both creepy and wonderful and um this was a really fun book to read with kids um they loved it uh okay. my favorite part was uh, we'd read a bit and then i would explain any of the hard vocab words and talk about the ghouls for example and i was saying you know yeah i, I can't wait to be a ghoul because what you do to become a ghoul, kids, <laughs> is you you get the the dead body that's been rotting for a long time, so it's all flavorful, and you open up the coffin, and it's lead lined, oh right? So you you chew off any meat that's left on the bones, but then the best part, that's the best part, you tip up the coffin because you're really <laughs> strong. You tip it up, and because it's lead lined, all the juices. <laughs> Stay oh, at the bottom are, and you tip oh, it into your mouth. And they were like, oh no. my God. And they were so <laughs> into it. <laughs> That's gross. It was so And small. no wonder they loved it. I would hate it no matter what age. <laughs> oh. oh, it was really My fun thing to was that when the angles were wrong. And because that's his classic thing, all the angles were wrong. Mm, it says I from even, even from the oh, path yeah. below Gulheim, even from miles away, Bod could see that all the, of the angles were wrong, that the walls sloped crazily, that it was every nightmare he had ever endured made into a place like a huge mouth of jutting teeth. It was a city that had been built just to be abandoned, in which all the fears and madnesses and revulsions of the creatures who built it were made into stone. The ghoul folk had found it and delighted in it and called at home and I looked at that and I thought oh my gosh this is brilliant because not only is he evoking Lovecraft so clearly here Mm. but it made me think of the monkey folk and the abandoned city that the jungle had grown Mm. over that they took Mowgli to and Mowgli Uh had never been to a city and so all that manufactured stuff the walls and all the the things that were there would have been just as odd and foreign, although he was delighted by some of the things he found, but you couldn't eat them in the Jungle Book. Mm. Here it's not that case, but it's that same equivalent of, I don't understand this. He couldn't do that with Bod. Bod grew up in a city. Mm-hmm. He had to do yeah. something different to find the equivalent, and I just was in awe of that double meaning there. Mm. Was was King Louis only in the Disney version, or was it also in... Uh... <laughs> No, was it, there was a king, but he was not I King Louis. Remember. I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> no, because I was thinking about the ghouls, you know, with, with their with their names. 
the emperor of China. Yeah, the emperor of China mm. and the pre third president of the United States. And yeah, 33rd. 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 Yeah. I, I don't even know who that is. Julie, do you know who that is? No, I, you know, <laughs> sorry, I'm letting uh, my side down it, here. Harry S. Truman. <laughs> Oh no, Harry S. Truman is a ghoul. Wow. He's one of the good ones. Everybody loves him. Oh wow. Somebody's well, gonna have to... that's somebody ate funny. him. Well, somebody ate him. That's how he got Yeah, he's gone now. Well, I um I, I, I'm very impressed with how well it holds up. I I considered doing the full cast version, which I guess came out very subsequently, maybe five years ago or something. Mm. This book is 10 years old. I went back to the original uh, version, the audio book, mm -hmm. uh, that apparently was recorded in Minnesota radio station. Um, <laughs> I love that. Really? Yeah. And Gaiman is, if, if he didn't have a you know writing career going... He could totally just be an audiobook narrator oh, and be so a great living at it, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there really isn't a better author narrator in existence as far as I can tell. I was so excited when I pressed play and it was him. I was like, mm. oh, my God. Yeah, I liked yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go, no, go ahead. I was just going to – I could just loop it and just keep listening. Oh, he's yeah. really good. And I liked the full cast version, but I like him more. May and I thought maybe it was just because I'd heard it first and I knew it was him. So it's nice to hear that affirmation. He really knows how to. He really knows how to just voice his own characters too. I think. I yeah, mean, they're really so all crazy. aspects of him. Well, it was his reading of Coraline that made me like Coraline because mm. I'd tried it a few times in print and it was not for me. Mm. And then um, I think. Scott, maybe from Good Story, uh, was like, no, no, we need to read it. I was like, oh, but the audio was so good that I was totally engaged. Do, do, that came slightly after, I think. Um, mm -hmm. um, was that for his daughter? Because he's got a couple of kids, right? Oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. It's interesting because one is a boy story and the other one's a girl story. And they're both equally interesting in the secondary world fantasy family um just and uh, uh, that one i think julie you must have been on that one that was years ago we did a show on um on the book that inspired that book the um, book that inspired Coraline. yeah what the heck is it called and you have to remind me because i maybe maybe it wasn't you then um hmm. oh, it was a it oh it's called been, the new mother Oh, yeah, of course it was. Um, I think Heather Ordover read it. Oh, maybe that's right. Uh, because see. I was too upset by the ending, so I wouldn't <laughs> read it. <laughs> that's why I remember it. I was like, no, I don't like this at all. <laughs> I'll talk about it, but I am not Lucy reading Clifford this. Clifford was the uh, wow. author of that. Yeah. And that, that, is a, that is a spooky story. Mm, mm, which is why I wouldn't read it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a that mother was the worst mother in the world. That was 2013. Oh, uh, yeah. Wait, no, yes, 2013, and um, we did. Uh, I, I noticed how long that one was. It was. It, it, it's inspired by it, right? So the it, the difference between uh, Jungle Book and the New Mother is the New Mother is, I think, very not well known. Whereas, right, right. Uh, we've got a lot of. Um, 
Oh, yeah. It was Heather Odover. You're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. She was interesting to talk to about it. She's, um, just for anybody who doesn't know, she has a podcast called Craft Lit, which is always has the audio of the book as you're going through it. And then she does annotations and she's excellent at it. There's because like a director's cut kind of, yeah, like a deep reading of, but it's a like few a chapters read along, time. but uh, each chapter, right, is yeah, read along. And, and she's she's the only one on it on the commentary, right? yes. And there is a bit, just in, in case it puts you off for some reason, it's called craftlet because the idea was that you could listen while you knitted or something. So sometimes <laughs> there's a bit of crafty talk at the beginning, but she, um, a while back, started saying things like book talk starts at however much, mm. so you can skip that, which I, I do. But she is really, really good, very insightful, and um, she's got so many listeners, and they'll call in and make very interesting comments. We, we were doing, or a while back, it was the Count of Monte Cristo, which took, you know, forever. But there were people from France calling in, going, wow. oh, I've studied wow. this thing, and commenting cool. on it. So, you know, she's taking a break right now, but <laughs> she's got like 500 episodes. Yeah, she, uh, she's she been podcasting longer than both of us, right? Oh, yeah. 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 But um, anyway. Highly I, I want to just uh, give a summary of that for uh, people who haven't read it. Uh, mm -hmm. And to remind me, uh, <laughs> and uh, might say you you'll be interested. The story concerns two well-behaved children living in their with their mother and their baby sibling in the forest while their father is away at sea. One day, the children meet a strange little girl who tells them that she has a tiny man and woman in a box and will only show them to naughty children. The children <laughs> return home and do their best to be naughty despite their love for their mother. The mother despondent tells the children that if they do not behave, she will have to go away with the baby and be replaced by a quote-unquote new mother with <laughs> glass eyes and a wooden tail. When uh. the children next meet the girls, she tells them that they haven't been nearly naughty enough and suggests ways for them to be more naughty. The cycle repeats three times, at the yeah. end of which the girl tells the children that they will never be naughty enough to see the little people and that their new, their mother and baby have gone away to be with their father and they will never return and that the new mother is coming. And, and then uh, this girl disappears. At and she point, does come and it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> at this point, the children's mother and the baby have also left. The children do not believe the girl and clean up the house and await their mother's return. The new mother shows up, but the children try not to let her in. They see she has glass eyes and a wooden tail. <laughs> the children flee into the woods and live on berries. Their real mother never returns, and their new mother lives in the house instead. Oh, my. It's a horror story. It's so story. much worse it's... than the other mother. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, it's so surprising because it it is hardcore. Like, imagine you being told this as a kid. Is this actually a kid's story? It is a children's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Come on. It's a children's story. In hell? It's a children in hell story? It's like, <laughs> you know, this is what you, you know, when your kid's been naughty that day, you read them this story as a bedtime story. <laughs> and they're like, the next day, Mom, I never leave me. I'm sorry. I, I and, and, yeah. and then the mother looks at them with buttons in her eyes. Or yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, and you can see where Coraline came from in that. Yeah, oh, for but, sure. Mm. Yeah. It, but but there is, yeah, the problem with that story, and that's what was so hard for me is there's no redemption, there's no mercy, there's just 
you you made this one mistake and that is it. Yeah. Done. Well, it's well, very fairy tale like, right? As opposed to what we've got in Coraline or in in um, the Graveyard Book. I I also you know I, I see uh, his other work in this book too. You know. Oh yeah. Uh, I think maybe it was mm-hmm. my mom. Very neverwhereish. The somebody, villain. Yes. Maybe it was uh, I I don't know my friend Steen or my mom or somebody somebody said. Oh, Neil Gaiman, yeah. has he ever written a book where it isn't all just about gods? I'm like, hmm, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> I guess Coraline's not all about gods, but the, one of his latest things is Norse gods. And but that's nonfiction. Yeah, but there's an audio drama of it. <laughs> well, of and course there is. And I was listening to it, gods. and I was like, yeah, this is regular Neil Gaiman stuff, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, it, it's nonfiction, but the way he tells his stories and... You know, he's already well, written books about the Norse gods as fiction, right? Yeah, it's it's it's, yes. it's the grand mythology. He lives oh, so. Oh, that's the Sandman stuff. Yeah, yeah. as opposed to gods. It's... Yeah, well, I mean, he calls it the endless, right? Um, and I was thinking, was well, there one in this book? Is there a god that's? And I think, what's the story with the gray lady on the gray mare? See, I was trying to figure out the origin of that, because that's clearly a nod to immortality, God taking you in kind of a thing um, of some sort. She's she's death in a certain way, right? Yeah, that's what I took her as, death. Oh, yeah, but I just was wondering if there was a particular mythology. Obviously something, but it's not something I'm super familiar with. Mm. Yeah, no, me either. But yeah, death. She's death, a kindlier version than, you know, the sickle and the the hood and everything. Now, <laughs> there is a um there is a folk folk song. I think it's folk yeah, folk song called The Old Grey Mare. But <laughs> come on, the she ain't that, what she used to be. <laughs> yeah, the old grey mare, she ain't what she used to be, ain't what she used to be, ain't what she used really to be. I really don't feel like that's worked in here. <laughs> no, it doesn't feel like it's the right tone, right? No. It, but no, what's that song jovial. about? She ain't what she used to be, she's gonna die soon, right? Um and I don't yeah. think I don't think it is necessarily uh see all the words. Uh, well, I can sing all the words for you. No, that's okay. <laughs> I- I'm going to go with your interpretation, Jesse. No, no, I'm I just think thinking like right. there's, there's no mention of the woman on the horse, right? And and uh, when I was reading this story with uh, my students, um, I, they're asking me all sorts of questions, like, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> sometimes I know and sometimes I don't. So, like, I was really excited when I figured out who Silas was. It's like, oh, he's a vampire. <laughs> like in my own head, he's got to be a vampire. I, mean, when you I first didn't read even the book? figure it out. Yeah, no, I was reading it with the students. So I, uh, it doesn't say he's a vampire, you know, on page whatever. It, it never but says You read that. it before, right? I mean. No, no. I, no, it I, doesn't I, say it anywhere, I don't think. No, no, no. I just no, mean. I'm not, I'm you not read it before read you read it with your students. No, no, oh. I had not. Oh, okay. I was reading it with them. Yeah, you know, in, every day we'd read some of it. and. <laughs> And uh, it was, it was. I suspected um, it quite early. I remember, and I was pleased when it seemed. Yeah, and like when yeah, we figured out who Mrs. Lupescu was. Yeah, um, that's such a great name. Obvious, yeah. Um, but probably not for kids. Um, I think I did uh, like that they were made into the Hounds of God, so they had their own um glory 
you know, as well as um, just the bad folk tales about werewolves. Yeah, mm. I think there is a short story that has Lupescu in the name. Oh yeah, but I'm, I, it's not coming up. Um, but yeah, she's you know with her her he's so good at writing. So when when <laughs> we get that um we get the scene where he's he's being forced to eat all this weird Eastern European food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Romanian soup and whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, hmm, that sounds good, actually. I kind of want to have it, even though, it, you know, I, I know exactly what uh, what that tastes like from, you know, having uh, Eastern European friends. Mmm, <laughs> like, this is, I don't know, spoiled cabbage. Mmm. You know, actually, it's kind of good. It's just not what you, it's not sweet. It's like savory. Uh, but for kids, that is uh, it's something you can totally relate yeah. to. Those really strong flavors mm. um, and really sour flavors. And mm. it's not like when she's she's then um, friendly with him. I mean, you know, after they've had their adventure and she brings him a little meat pie or whatever it is. And you go, yeah, those, those things are so foreign to each other. Mm-hmm. You know. Especially since he's been eating Twinkies his whole life. Right. Yeah. Silas is just whatever's <laughs> down at the corner shop. Yeah. I'm getting it. Yeah, um, I was right. Anthony Boucher wrote a short story uh, called Mr. Lupescu, oh, um, yeah. which I have read um, and I think might be public domain. I can't remember now. Um, I guess I could look that up. Mr. Uh, Lupescu. <laughs> there's a Miss Lupescu. Is it, she a Mrs. or? She's a Miss. Yeah, okay. Um, and I don't remember him being a vampire, but he's definitely related to Ki- Oh, I think he might have been the devil. Okay, so that's his little nod in that case to that story, yeah. I guess. Because there's I'm, no reason to have that name otherwise. It well, could be Lupus any name. Is a wolf. Right, which is why I saw the name and went, oh, okay, werewolf. Yeah. But a kid's not going to think that. Oh. Here, uh, Mr. Jim Moon did a show on. Uh, uh oh wow listen to this on hypnagoria yeah um so this is 2012 i guess i read it after the graveyard book which is again so full neil gaiman's Mm -hmm. breadth of reading is obviously contributing massively to his ability to write you know Mm -hmm. just being able to draw from these sources um so i wrote this in 2012 mr jesse has lots of friends, and they all do something you wouldn't ever think of. Not in a schoolian years. I think I'm referencing something from one of the stories there. <laughs> one of Mr. Jesse's Let's friends is named Mr. Jim Moon. He is one of Mr. Jesse's very good friends, though Mr. Jesse has never really ever seen Mr. Jim Moon. <laughs> Sometimes Mr. Jesse thinks that Mr. Jim Moon isn't real, but because Mr. Jim Moon is so fun to play with, Mr. Jesse doesn't want to think too hard about it. He doesn't want Mr. Jim Moon to disappear. Mr. Jim Moon's podcast, Hypnobobs, that's what it used to be called, it's now Hypnogoria, is full of wonderfully terrible stories of weird and the macabre, (laughs) or a macabre. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Jim Moon's latest podcast is a short collection of weird poems, but the one before that, Hypnobobs, Number 68 is entitled Imaginary Friends and includes two short stories with imaginary friends at their center. Here is their episode uh, link. And then one is named Thus I Refute Beasley or Beasley. 
and it was written by Mr. John Collier, and the other is called Mr. Lupescu, and was written by Mr. Anthony Boucher. It seems likely to Mr. Jesse that Mr. Anthony Boucher's story inspired one of the characters in, hey, Neil Gaiman's The Graveyard Book. <laughs> Mr. Jesse has tracked down the accompanying illustrations from the print publications, and he's posted them below. Um, it's a story about a kid with an imaginary friend. Okay. Right? And that's what Scarlet has. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I really like Scarlet. I think her story in this story is kind of a mini version of this story. You know, the fact that she goes to the park, her parents uh, let her, you know, tool around while they're reading a book in the sunlight, and she discovers an imaginary friend, and and then uh, it's like a little kid romance. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. It is. And, and I especially like when she comes back and she's the angry teenager mm-hmm. having to rediscover all this and then getting sucked into the whole uh, story. Mm. There's a, uh, a great scene also when uh, Bod is he's uh, he's teaching her. You know, about the graveyard. And then she says, I want to go into these tombs and play houses. And he says, you can't. Yeah, (laughs) no, you can't. She says, Mimi? Yeah. (laughs) He just looks at her. Yeah. No, not. Not a Mimi. Um, uh, And I was like, oh, yeah, that is totally girl. (laughs) 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 You go go into the park. You want to, you want to. Uh, you find an old tomb. You say, "Oh, this would make a nice house. Let's play house." Yeah. Uh, it's like, "Oh, yeah, that's so cute, super cute." It, it, it is, and it would have been super childhood. fun. He's you know? also very brave, though. You think? Yeah, she went down into the into the steers. Oh, oh, yes. Well, that, yeah, not. Yeah, I don't. No, I, no. I was thinking just like if you're uh, if you're in a graves graveyard and you don't really understand what being dead means but yeah going into the dark absolutely mm-hmm. uh, and with a little boy who says he can see in the dark <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah. yeah and you can hear something oh i can see it it's okay well, they're, they're like six yeah. years old or something at that time right five i think yeah wow. really young really wow. young you guys remember back that age when you were that young yeah wow <laughs> me too <laughs> sort of <laughs> sort of I remember before i was three so wow really? Before my sister was born. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I remember them bringing her home and some other stuff, but I remember things from before that. I thought everybody did that. Um, And then I found out they don't. No. I can barely remember yesterday. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's a lot harder. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, summer used to last, uh, uh, you know, several years. And then. you know, that that's a, that's actually like a, a a thing where time does change. Your perception oh, yeah. of time changes as you get older. So yeah, yeah it because when you're young, the, the summer almost is it's half your life. It's like, centuries, you know, yeah. Right. It, yeah, and and uh, so you you experience it so much differently. Yeah, and you have no experience to compare anything to mm-hmm. either. So yeah, that's how you can get Both bored too. Back then, remember how you could get bored really easily. Mm-hmm. You spend like three minutes not playing with a toy or <laughs> reading a good book, and suddenly, oh, the world <laughs> is so boring. <laughs> now, yep. now you can spend like you know four hours not doing anything, and it doesn't bother you at one <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> not at all. Good hours. 
Uh, I I think he's really tapped into uh, into the youth and and you know when he does recycle, which I I was thinking that lady on the horse, she is she's death, right? Which right. makes he's got a death character who's a girl, um, in the endless uh in the Sandman series, right? But she's not the same one. When he has the conference of the Jacks, which mm. is fun, that's also sort of a recycling of he has a uh, very famously um, a like a convention of serial killers in um, in the Sandman. It's like oh, okay. you, you know how there's a uh, book conventions and science fiction <laughs> conventions. They, okay. they have just a convention at a hotel with just serial killers from around the world getting together, <laughs> having felt. conferences. Yeah, yeah it, it very much like that, right? But well, he does they, enough work there so that they are enough of a threat to drive a plot. But right. I, I, I kept thinking like, where is where is um Silas going? Why, mm. You know, where, where is he? He's like Gandalf. He disappears for long periods of time. <laughs> right? He's well, busy. and those were the parts where those were his contributions that are melded into the story perfectly. If you're not mm. thinking about where the bits came from, mm-hmm. but when you're reading it, you can clearly see, oh, the Jacks. Those are right. his. That's because that's his standard mean, horrible character, very right. much as you meet in Neverwhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the the two uh, killers from time-traveling yeah. to, uh, hitman, yeah. sort of, right? Yeah, exactly. So he, and and so it's he's also interesting because, you know, there's some authors where they have standard characters and, um, for instance, Connie Willis. Mm-hmm. She has a certain sort set of characters and for most of the books of hers that I liked until recently, I'm okay with that because I'm very interested in the story that she's telling. So it's okay to have, you know, these people with him though, he can take them and recycle them, but they're different because they're tooled to each story he's telling. He's not consciously unable to write other characters. These are just the characters that work. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need a deeper mean character. Well, he can have a bunch of them. There's the deepness, the depth. Mm -hmm. They go back this far and it's a conspiracy. That's all you need. And that's different than, you know, there, because the first Jack Frost, I guess, is the first one. Um, He's Shere Khan. But mm -hmm, he does a lot more with him than Shere Khan. So, you know, it's just um, everybody's allowed to have certain things that they like to come back to. But he takes them all and he only uses them in service of the story. And I find that's admirable because that's what keeps it fresh. It's very fresh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also found it uh, quite refreshing. I remember reading the paper book and I wasn't super enthusiastic about the illustrations. They're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't, if you if you both have seen them, they're, yeah, they, they have okay. a style to them, but it, it didn't yeah, I don't drive, me, drive me wild. Um, I cannot say the same thing about the the adaptation, the comic book adaptation. I found looking at the pictures, I didn't, you know, read it cover to cover because I'm listening to the book and uh, it's essentially the same exact story. There's no uh, variation. The concision is, you know, it's any dialogue seems to be entirely in the book, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's i think slimmed down a little bit but some of the art in here is stunning in fact i know you saw one julie because you think favorited it on twitter or something Mm -hmm. one of those uh jill uh, it might have been jill 
Thompson illustration or PK, P. Craig Russell. I just I followed um, uh, somebody named Galen Showman. I was like, wow, this is a re- I didn't realize at first that it wasn't all P. Craig Russell art oh. all the way through. Um, but his his style is amazing. But so many of the art, artists in here are just just so evocative that it it is what I imagined uh, or very similar. But the scale is bigger, you know, like the horizon is bigger. Um, was there more than one artist working yes, on it? Yes, multiple artists. So oh, each chapter, okay. um, the, oh, the cha- cool. I'm looking at the chapter with the ghouls right now, and the ghouls are not how I picture them. I picture them much <laughs> more less hu- less human. Mm-hmm. Um, but I pictured them as like co- sort of comic, gross humans. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, like I picture them like little odd monkey i mean because i yeah. was thinking but i mean but creepy horrible awful yeah mm-hmm. um and the consistency of the art is pretty amazing considering how different the artists are but like the i, I guess Pete craig russell must have mapped out you know this is how we're going to make the sleer look in multiple chapters right because what's cool is it's described in the book but neil gaiman is not a kind of this is why he's so concise right he doesn't paint the design in your head he mm-hmm. gives you the outline and then you fill it in so That's when what I like. yeah and it's it's nice because i have a good enough imagination i i can see the indigo man right and so when they show oh, him yeah. here to me i'm like oh that's really good that's not what i was picturing but that's really good the yeah. brooch right you know what the brooch looks like yeah um, um and this wow that's and the graveyard so beautiful like to look at and then the junk shop or the you know the antique shop that's not how i pictured it but very beautiful so it's almost like um you could have the whole experience of reading the book uh through the comic um if you're not uh you know read the book but um it's super complimentary. I, I I find myself just looking at the images and saying, "Wow, there's Silas. Look at look at how he dominates <laughs> the room compared to this little tiny little boy who he could suck the blood out of and ne- and doesn't <laughs> never even considers it. Like there's not a, never a scene where where uh, Silas says, "I'm going to cut this boy's hair because he needs to have his hair cut." Right? <laughs> and oops, no. I accidentally clipped his <laughs> ear. Oh, I got to drink that. Right? There's nothing like that. Yeah. And uh, Silas is, um, I mean, I'm not a person who thinks, oh, every character who I like needs to have his own novel. But (laughs) that's kind of like. I would love to know his backstory. He's he's so intriguing because he says, I used to do evil stuff when I was young. (laughs) That's what I was thinking about, too, is this is his his redemption part of the story. And why does he hang out in this graveyard? I was wondering if he was if he if he also had some knowledge of the prophecy, like he was pretty, pretty handily there. Well, he didn't. He, he didn't seem to be. Yeah, I don't think he had any knowledge of it. I think that's what his investigations when he was going away was all for, right? Yeah, I just knew wise that. In general. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the only ultimately, I found like, oh, um, this whole prophecy thing. That's why the kid was killed in the first place. Oh, okay, I guess. <laughs> like, that's less important to me. The whole plot is way less important to me than 
like why is the why is the dance macabre in this because it's cool jesse that's why <laughs> well you know it is and, and also for for death too because death is so mm. beautiful in this right. story like she's not scary at all she's just you know this this beautiful woman that that rides you into the beautiful next mm. phase where you get to continue living forever mm-hmm. this is on page 180 of the comic book version um uh, there, I think I might have tweeted a black and white version, but here's uh, it's in color. Each of the dancers took a partner, the living the, with the dead, each to each. And then you see the gray lady, beautiful dress. Hello, Bod. Hello, I don't know your name, says Bod. <laughs> Names aren't really important. Um, interesting, right? Because that's sort of a theme in the book. Job, yeah. Right. Yeah, because his name's nobody. Mm. And he's supposed to find his name. And at the end, right? Yeah, that whole um. Yeah, he, he, yeah. I love, I love your horse. He's so big. I, I never knew horses could be so big. He is gentle enough to bear the mightiest of you away on his broad back, and strong enough for the smallest of you as well. Obviously, uh, not a gray mare. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can I ride him? One day, one day, everybody does. Promise? I promise. Oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> and with that, the dance was done. Mm-hmm. And that's just a beautiful page. There's this nice lady. Um, she's got a gray horse. Bob doesn't know who she is. Like, oh, I'm like explaining to the kids, who is she? I say, who is she? I'm like, what? What does she mean when she says it like this? And I'm like, and then when they get, it, they're like, oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, how come that's so cool now? I kind of want to die. <laughs> compassionate too. Yeah. Right. That's that's the he's really smart. This game the guy. Yeah. Well, kind of also the touchstone of just what's true and what do we need to remember? Because at the beginning, she's the one who comes and breaks up the Council of the Dead by saying mm-hmm. the dead should have charity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they should because they've been through everything. They know how bad or good things can be. They should show charity to the living. Mm-hmm. You uh, know, that's, that's what uh, Bod does uh, with the, um, the witch. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, what's her name? E H. Eliza Hempstead. Hempstead. Right. Hemp. And that's actually I, the image I sent. I tweeted um, that you saw, Julie. Oh, on oh okay. Twitter. That's uh, Eliza Hempstead hiding behind a tree. Okay. Um, and I thought I thought her story was terrific. Yeah. Re- really quick before we leave the Dance yeah. Macabre, can I just mm-hmm. say one thing? Sure. When I was reading it and thinking about the Jungle Book, it actually mm-hmm. made me think of the story to Maya of the Elephants. Do you remember that right, one? Right, right, sure. Yes, what I was thinking too. Yeah, because they all the next day they've all forgotten it. Right. And the wow. next day the elephants have all gone back to their normal lives. They're fine with right. where they were. And so I thought, I don't know if he consciously used that, but I thought, because to me, that was the most unusual thing that was not like anything in the book at all. And I went, oh, wait a minute. It's not the jungle book that we think of with Mowgli, but it is kind of referential to that story, possibly. Mm -hmm. No, I think you're right. That that makes sense, because I'm wondering why it's in there other than, you know, it's cool. But I, I think he is... He is taking inspiration from the Jungle Book a lot. Yeah, just one of those mysteries that, and so what's a mystery? And they're all having a dance together. They don't understand it, but they can all do it. 
right? It's the same thing mm-hmm. as the elephants. And it's uh, meeting of different communities too, right? Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was interesting that it came up while Bod is in the graveyard, right? Like it, this happens, it hasn't happened for 80 years. Like what, yes. what initiates this? What makes those flowers bloom every who knows how long? You know, winter flowers, yeah. Winter, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. We've got we've got one of we've crossed worlds. So when worlds when worlds cross, it, it happens. And it's also one of those things where yes, everybody keeps going. No, no, we just know we're supposed to do this. This is mm-hmm. so it's within generations enough that mm-hmm. somebody can insist on it. It's tradition. We have to do it. So. Uh, which anyway, so back to the witch. That's fine. I just oh wanted... yeah. Well, well, we'll we'll go back. I I was just realizing we haven't talked about the other book that oh, was homework. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm sorry, teacher. I, my homework's going to be never done. Uh, yeah. You should you should read it. It's good. I think I enjoyed I, it. I really did tried. like it. So the book we're talking about is called um, A Fine and Private Place A Fine and Private Place by Peter S. Beagle, which I've done a show on with uh, Juliana Kutzendorf from um, Science Fiction oh, yeah. Book Review Podcast. Um, oh. It's a it's a good book. Very mm-hmm. good book. Um you couldn't get into it, Julie. I read the Wikipedia summary. Okay. Um, <laughs> I've tried to read it several times before, and for you, Jesse, I tried listening to the audio and went, Nope. Talking from a tin can is not going to do it for me because it's an old recording. And then I was like, I'll just read the book. I'm just going to power through. And I was like, I can't make Aww, myself do it. I'm much. sorry. I, I listened. I was, uh, I thought that the recording of his voice was a little strange at first, but then as you get, as you get into those characters mm-hmm. and, and, and like how they are, I thought it was, it ended up being perfect. Oh, it was, it was good. It, yeah. Narrated by the author again. Mm-hmm. Oh, Okay. Yeah, narrated by the author again, and like he just brought some of those characters really to life. Mm-hmm. You had to go, you had to ride, you had to ride <laughs> that raven <laughs> to get there. So uh, the Fair reason enough. It's call me similar. Ezekiel, I was under a bush wanting to die. Done. <laughs> uh, so the one, the reason I may assigned it as homework, whether you did it or not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait because to hear that. they are both stories about somebody living in a graveyard, a human uh, living in a graveyard, and their fantasies, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. The ghosts in the graveyard are uh, active, at least some of them. And instead of li- being a little boy, it's a, I don't know, middle-aged man, right? Older, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's very gentle, it's slow. Um, yeah. It's... Um, it's. I quite liked it. What did you think of it? I, I really, I really liked it a lot too. There was a, there was a little bit of, of repet, Like I thought that it could have been a little bit shorter. He, he, he repeated yeah. himself a little bit. But um, no, I, I liked the way he built the characters and and he, and he made his case for, or for the relationships, mm-hmm. for all the relationships. Mm-hmm. There was because there was a few. There were a few love stories in there, and uh, and 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 it was interesting watching this man who was so afraid overcome his fears and um no i I really did i thought it was really well done Mm -hmm. good characters 
So, uh, and she's only 19 when you wrote it. Yeah, only 19 when you wrote it. It doesn't feel like a 19-year-old role, no, does it? No, especially because his protagonists are so mature. Yeah, and they're they're mature, not just by him saying they're mature, but by showing they're mature, right? Yeah, yeah. I like to just, you know, there's this older lady. She's had a husband. Her husband died. There's this man who's sort of living <laughs> a fantasy world life. Um, yeah. And can't sort of stuck and Mrs. Clapper and it's um it's really I Mr. Rebeck Mr. Rebeck that was his name and then there's yeah. a, a crow right Raven it's a Raven Raven it's a Raven Raven yeah. right so it, it it's taking some inspiration from uh, Poe's The Raven I think but mm-hmm. very little compared to uh you know what Graveyard Book takes from the jungle well, was, actually and the raven actually made me interested to try it because the raven himself mentions ezekiel mm, and he yes. says well right, we right, just right. we always bring food to people that's why i was joking about ezekiel mm-hmm. but he's like we always bring food to people ezekiel in the desert and this and that and of course the thing with and so i was what reading the wikipedia summary thinking was this like the story of Ezekiel? Because Ezekiel's on the run. He's being persecuted for telling his prophecies. And so he's he sits down under a bush. He's like, that's it, Lord. I am done. Just kill me now. I'm not moving. And ravens bring him food. Angels bring him food. Finally, the Lord just goes, no, get up and get going and do what you're supposed to do. And so I thought, well, maybe by the end of the book, that's where he is. Um, but And I realize it's a loose connection since i didn't read the book Mm. i i in a way in this book i think the raven is what kept him there for so long because like isn't a myth mythologically ravens are the communicators between between Mm -hmm. uh odin the the psychopomp that's what you're yeah exactly exactly Mm -hmm. and and there's a line in here that says Ravens bring things to people. We're like that. It's our nature. We don't like it. We'd much rather be eagles or swans or even one of those moronic ro- robins. But we're <laughs> ravens, and there you are. And we don't feel right without somebody to bring things to. Yeah, the and raven has a real personality in that book. Um, he does. And this guy not what you expect. Have stayed either. there without that raven. Yeah, I think yeah. isn't there isn't there a ride in the back of a truck uh, with another animal like a squirrel or something? Was there? I think I think I think there's like a a scene where the the raven gets tired of flying and it's like oh I'm yeah just take yeah a bus yeah, here. yeah that's right it's a squirrel yeah <laughs> <laughs> just get a transport across New York City yeah and uh, I think it's a setting you know one set in New York the other one's it's not set in London it's just set somewhere in England right uh yeah the graveyard book yeah yeah. Uh, it, it's so rich, this book, the graveyard book. I think about how, like, if 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 I wanted to read just the story about Scarlet and her family, it almost reads like, uh, you know, Coraline. They move away, right? They find some weird house and they go do this, and she has adventures in her backyard, and it's it's really fully realized and that's why what sort of makes it a perfect book in the way that um a classic really would be mm-hmm. it's it's just so like finding private place is a very good book i really like it i think people should read it but i don't feel like it's um, not this it's not this book and this book it, it it's it's just as 
how striking is it that like little you know eight ten year old kids can enjoy this novel and adults can enjoy it mm-hmm. and he manages not to lose the kids mm-hmm. um, and or nor the adults that's amazing yeah and I feel like it's it, it's like I, I I really like Coraline too and I think it's got some really good things in it but I don't feel like it's as amazing as this book no I don't either. I agree. I think movie of Coraline is good too, but again, uh, I, I imagine they keep talking about making a movie out of this. Um, I imagine it won't be as good as, as a lot of things. Coraline's quite different. The film, they, they changed a, a lot of little things. They kind of have to, I guess. But um, I, the comic book adaptation, very, very, very well done. I, I've only read the first half. Um, and I haven't really read it. I've just looked through it at every page, right, as I'm listening to the book. But the price is incredibly good, too. Because it's aimed at the children's market, this is a big book. It's 188 pages, um, but it's only $10 U.S. Um, mm. And full of, full of color, and then the second half would be the same, right? Um, wow. So you've got um, some really... People who, who spend a lot of love putting together images that are conjured by the book. Miss Lupescu, right? What a character. <laughs> Silas, so evocative. and You know, you never get a, a description of the lines on his face, right? Mm-hmm. You get a description of his, of his heart and his, his wisdom. And yet mm-hmm. the, the images are all there in the text, you know, like, um, the relationship Mrs. Lupescu has to Bod is like, is she going to eat him? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, she's not going to eat him. Right. Um, and uh, there is a funny line in here. Uh, yeah. It says on the back of the book, and I think it's in the book as, as well. It takes a graveyard to raise a child. I think yeah, that, I think so. that that's some sort of reference to uh, it takes a village to raise a yeah, family. Hillary Clinton. Right. Yeah, which is weird and sort of yeah. out of time. Right. Yeah. Now, but uh, that's really what he's done is it, his parents are almost the least interesting characters in the book. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just sort of simple folks and they don't really uh, spend a lot of time. We don't spend a lot of time with them. We well, Mother and Father Wolf, that's, we don't see much either. That's, that's, that's just how it is, though, in kids' yeah, books. That's yeah. right. That's true. Um, they're, they're nice folks, but um, I, I really like the. The poet who punished all, oh all God, his enemies so by refusing to write any more poetry for the public. Yeah. He's still waiting. Yeah. One day. One day. <laughs> oh. And, and what funny. happened with that? Ha- well, not yet, but no. anytime now. One day. They're going to come and take it from my gold dead hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and it's because he is so talented that he doesn't have to stop and describe people. He can. Mm. But usually it's through their actions and what they're thinking and just the inferences that they make. Think of the, again, going to that witch chapter, think of the men in the shop, the pawnbroker who he takes the brooch to. You know all about him. And you don't have to know what he looks oh, like. Oh, he or feels anything. like another character we've met oh, in another book, right? And I, I, yeah, I was thinking it's, he's kind of like um, Scrooge, but not exactly. He's kind of like evil. Because Scrooge is more like just 
selfish. Yeah, this, this guy, guy is opportunistic. Yeah. And then he'll turn evil for his own purposes. Well, there was, there was some Lord of the Rings stuff happening there with that brooch. He didn't. Okay. He didn't. Yeah. The bro the brooch, the knife and the cup, right? And mm-hmm. They always come back. They the always slear. come back. I loved the slear. Slear is awesome. Yeah. Just, just, I have one purpose. I have one job and that <laughs> job I am going to do. And that's all I care about. It's a creepy mm-hmm. job, but I'm doing it. There is a book um, called Elidor, which is a f- children's fantasy book from 1965 that I think might be referenced um, in that the, the cup oh. and the there's a um, uh, there's a land sort of um, uh, the, I think uh, if I'm remembering the book right, basically there's some kids on holiday and they're kind of jerks. They're kind of a family of boys, boys and girl jerks. And they kind of, it's hard to read, actually. I found it like these kids don't want to spend any time with them. But they, um, they sort of go to a fantasy world by, uh, breaking into a church or maybe it's a chapel. Um, and in, when they pass into that world, they, yeah, here, there's a description here. Elidor begins with an epigraph quoting William Shakespeare's King Lear. Uh, Child Roland to the Dark Tower came. There's a line that has spawned many a book, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this is also an allusion to an English folktale of Child Roland, from which several elements of the plot of Elidor are drawn. Child Roland features the eponymous Roland, his two brothers, sister Bird Ellen. Roland kicks a ball over a church, and when the bird Ellen attempts to retrieve it, she disappears. Brothers Roland then leave to find her, but they do not return. Um, oh, so it sounds similar, right? And I it was believe... just told in that myths podcast that uh-huh. Jason Weiser, Weezer, whatever his name is, does. I just heard that. I mean, it's probably not that recent, but yeah, it's yeah. it's a great story. And there's, um, I remember on one of the covers, uh, I I have this book somewhere. Um, it has uh three treasures. Uh there it is. There's the cover I'm thinking of. Oh, it's not three. It's four treasures. There's a sword, a spear, a bowl, and a, uh, I don't know, like an anvil or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like these are the the Sleer's treasures, kind of, right? Right. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's escaping into a fantasy world while you're a kid. Right. Um, which we've seen in things like... Uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and that sort of thing. But um, if that's why it feels so iconic, I think that <laughs> he goes into that and finds the three treasures, and it's a master. And, yeah, and at the same time, it's weaving in true history because you've got what's his name, Caius Pompeius, mm-hmm. yeah, who is he, the oldest one there because he's Roman. He liked the roads. <laughs> You know, like, of course he did. That's what they liked. And but then you have the Sleers layer where with and the Indigo Man. So that's mm. even before that. And so he's also weaving in the Celtic mythology a little bit yeah. because that brooch, when it's described, you can just see the Celtic knot mm-hmm. on there mm-hmm. and yeah. imagine it. And and I did love Misa. I had not thought about that um, the ring connection from the Lord of the Rings. But yes, that brooch takes over. At that point, mm-hmm. yeah. There's uh, there's also the just the 
the Barrow Whites, right, from the mm-hmm. from the Lord of the Rings as well, which I, I've. I, that's one of my favorite parts of the Lord of the Rings is I love it. traveling through the downs, the Barrow Downs. Right. And, you know, right. In, I, I assume I sent you a copy. Did I send you a copy of my calendar, Julie? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I that, you. Well, I don't remember. I don't know. Maybe maybe I tweeted it at you. Or maybe maybe it was on it. Twitter. In which I case. think it was on Twitter. Yeah, that's okay. my problem. I don't ever look at Twitter. Well, I'll, I'll send you a copy. You can oh, <laughs> Jesse, you'd go to email for me? I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But okay. maybe <laughs> well, Send me a tweet connection thing. Send me a message on Twitter. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the uh, I, I'm like been drawing these pictures for... Uh, since 2014, I think. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, there's a there's a barrow here. And then I put a ghost horse on top of the hill, <laughs> and there's the, these stones that are floating like ghostly around it. And then when uh, talking about the rules, like there always has to be rules behind stuff to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. If you don't, even if you don't make it explicit, but I'm explaining to the students why certain things can't happen, like roof bear can't leave the roof or whatever, right? Like just that's you know certain <laughs> things can't happen but this character can sometimes go elsewhere but that character can't like that right yeah. so i say well the go- ghost horse is waiting for his master to return and i'm like i'm explaining this to the students right <laughs> and his master uh is buried under that hill and the ghost horse is, is haunting the hill because he wasn't buried with his master Right? It's like I'm like, oh Jesus, maybe I'm sort of lifting from the sleer. Right? <laughs> it like As I'm reading me. this, I'm like, oh yeah, interesting. Yeah. Master's coming back eventually. Yeah, and just sort of the adventures that the the characters I'm drawing are having are their children's adventures, right? Like, mm-hmm. And they're like, I have scenes where they they're dressing up like Sherlock Holmes and Doctor yeah. Watson and following a trail of clues and. And it's like, that is totally make-believe games, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? And that's fun. It's 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 fun stuff for kids, but it's also fun for me to sort of reimagine, or not reimagine, but remember, um, that's, that's the sort of fun that you can really only have as a kid and then sort of re, re, re-engage with by re- reading something like Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't get to play house anymore, and we're busy doing house, you know. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're pretending to be grown up. We are grown up. Yeah, but the pretend, you know, has a lot of value. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The bills, you know, when you're playing house, you don't think about paying the bills. So boring, right? You think about, (laughs) oh, I'm cooking a meal. Where'd the food come from? Never mind. I get to pick everything. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Right, mud pies. Remember making mud pies? I mean, come on. That's fun. Not eating them. Your mom's cooking no. in the house while you're. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's yeah. what the visiting Neil Gaiman is like. Uh, you know, hanging hanging out in childhood when you're reading this book again, mm-hmm. and and seeing Bod grow up and gain sort of responsibility and get in trouble. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and you know what's funny is the thing you were talking about is we don't play house anymore, but we remember it, or you're remembering it through your pictures and. We all remember it through reading a book like this or talking about it, whatever, you know, or eventually you have children and then maybe if you're lucky, grandchildren and then you, you know, I'm I'm just like, I can't wait for my first grandchild and then for them to get old enough so Christmas becomes magic again, Mm. you know, (laughs) 
Yeah, um, it's definitely it, it, for kids. And Christmas is great, but yeah. without kids, it's just not quite the same. And that takes you right back. And so I was thinking, you're saying this, and of course, there's that acknowledgement in this book, which he does because Bod's getting too old. He's got to mm. leave. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to Mother Slaughter. And so what he's doing in this book is what she says, um, because she says, how old are you? About 15, I think, though I still feel the same as I always did, Bod said. <laughs> but Mother Slaughter interrupted. And I still feels like I done when I was a tiny slip of a thing, making daisy chains in the old pasture. You're always right. you, and that don't change, and you're always changing, and there's nothing you can do about it. So sweet. Yeah, and it's and it's and so true. I too. still that's, remember. That's the truth, yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. married, I think, when my dad, who didn't really ever talk like this, suddenly said, you know, I still feel the same as I did when I was a kid. I'm still me. And my mom looked at him and said, yeah, me too. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> you know? And you know that when you stop and think about it, but you also, you're just thinking, like you said, we're, we're paying bills. We're doing all this stuff. You mm. don't stop and think about, I'm still me as I was, even though you can have that double memory of, I was different, but I was the same. Mm-hmm. Oh, the one of those profound things that happened to me, uh, my mom was teaching, lego robotics and pro computer programming oh, yeah. you know, on apple II computers that tells you how long ago it was right <laughs> um and uh I, I that meant like she's teaching it over the summer as a you know uh, summer school course or whatever and uh one year um i'm like totally into playing with the lego right that i'm like you know building a spaceship and flying it around the room and running it around the corners of the uh <laughs> Uh, you know, if it's a car, ri- driving it around the windowsill or whatever. And then the next year, the same thing. She did the same sort of, you know, thing. We're still programming Lego and making stuff happen. And, like, I have no interest. I, I'm just not able to play mm-hmm. the other kids who are the exact same age I was the year before, right? New mm-hmm. set of kids. I can't do what they do anymore. Right. So. I've still got the Lego, but I can't do the uh, the play part. It's all about the the building a beautiful sculpture. That's mm-hmm. the only thing right. I can do now. And it's like, wow, you really do lose something. You lose the ability to imagine that playing of the house. It, to 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 imagine doing that as an adult. I mean, it sounds pathetic, but more importantly, it's impossible. Like it's just gone. It's something you. You lose, and yet you retain the memory of it, and that is that's that's the kind of maturity I guess that Bod's facing, right? Is the, yeah. We we get that. There's another comic book series that's really good. Um, if you if you neither of you have read it, you definitely should check it out. At least uh, the first part. It's called Welcome to the first book's called Welcome to Lovecraft. It's mm-hmm. um, by Joe oh. Hill. Um, oh, you know, okay. Stephen King's kid. Um, yeah. And it's about a uh, well. Let me just type it in. That's uh, the first book's called Welcome to Lovecraft, but to Lovecraft. Um, it's about a um, oh, Lock and Key is the series. That's what it's called. And oh, I, I think they're this. making a TV okay. show out of it or something. But, okay. Um, it's about a family who moved from uh, California back to their traditional home, I guess in Maine or something. Um, and the the town is called Lovecraft. And the house they live in <laughs> is called uh, Key House. And uh, 
inside the house, hidden all over the place, are keys. And these keys can do different things. So there's one called the head key. That's probably the most famous one. If you find the head key, you can take the key, and, and when you put it near somebody's head, like the back of their head, a little keyhole opens up. And then you can turn it, open up the top of their skull, and take out memories or Ooh. put memories in. Right, and it's like, wow, that's amazing. And then there's a key called the giant key. You know, you you use that one and you turn into a giant. Or there's a gender key. It can switch your gender, right? So all of these magical keys throughout the house. But the the really interesting part is that as soon as you hit a certain age, you forget that you even had these adventures with the keys. Right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like you you know you're 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 still living your life you still know the house you still know your family but you don't have the you don't retain the magic of the ma- the magical keys there's uh eventually you find out the explanation behind the creation of the keys and all that stuff but the important part is just the imagination behind wow there's this this key and there's that key and this key can do this and 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 it's like exploring a big old house with a mm-hmm. history and so fun it is fun and so the all the members of the house you know the mom and the the dad and the uh, the gay brother or whatever it is they they all had these ad- similar adventures as you did mm-hmm. as you are having as one of these characters now but no longer able to remember and couldn't even imagine and can't can't read like if they see the key events happening they can't they can't. Uh, they can't. They don't see, recognize Remember it the next minute. Yeah. That's right. And it's and like, of course, there's a menace, a threat, just like there is in this one. Yeah. Um, and it works in the same way. I think Lock and Key is brilliant and well worth reading. Huh. Sounds sort of like moving into Stepford Wives territory. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't yeah. make that. Can I? I'm not. I, it's been a long time since I saw a Stepford Wives movie. Isn't there a book? As well, there is, yeah, yeah. there was Who, first. Who's that by? Uh, I don't Mary's baby, Ira Levin. Is that his name? Oh, yeah, it is Ira Levin. Both yeah. those, yeah. I oh, read them um, way back <laughs> in the 60s or whenever when the mm. movies would come out, and I'd go get the book. Well, didn't we do a science fiction novel of his? Um, uh, oh. yeah, uh, Which, this perfect day. Oh, that That's wasn't me then. Oh, such a good book. Hmm. Um, ah, that's it's kind of uh, this perfect day is kind of like 1984 or Brave New World. Oh um, yeah. Oh, very. I found it to be very profoundly interesting. It oh. doesn't get any kind of like the respect that either of those books do. Hmm. I, I think it's much better than uh, Brave New World, but um, you know, and much more interesting in some ways than 1984 but less powerful than 1984 and less far less influential than brave new world i'm gonna track it down yeah and so one of the there's a uh rhyme that goes throughout the book they're good at that that's in uh 1984 as well right the bells of saint clemens right like that Oranges and lemons. There yep. you go. There you go. <laughs> Oranges and lemons. Say the bells of St. Clemens. When yeah, will that's you it. pay me? Right. Um, this one <laughs> is set in the future. Um, in future of the 70s, but our, our distant future. 
And it has this rhyme that goes through, and it's sort of, you know, it's the backstory. It goes, oh. Christ, uh-huh. Mark's wood and way led us to this perfect day. Mark's wood, way, and Christ, all but way were sacrificed. Wood, way, Christ, and Mark's gave us lovely schools and parks. Way, Christ, Mark's, and wood made us humble, made us good. Mm. And it's like propaganda, right? That the kids that are sounds right. very 1984. It's very interesting because... It is an evil world, but it's also like, how did they get there? And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's a little bit like The Giver as well, if you've read that. Oh, book. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't find The Giver to be as profound as, and interesting as um, This Perfect Day. So now no. I really want to read The Stepford Wives. Um, I've never read it, I don't think. And I don't remember, I mean, I don't remember it being super different than the movie. It probably was, but I was, you know, would have been a teenager when I read it. So I was just reading it, not thinking about it. Mm. That was my way <laughs> back then. Is there more than one movie of that? I, I have a feeling that there's a re- it's a remake. Oh, really? uh, 2004, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, with um, Mar- Mar- um, Nicole Kidman. Nicole right. Kidman, yeah. Right. It would have to be so different because the first one was really good and it was done in the time. Mm. And I think there's a value in that particular thing and the message it's talking about with men and women and women's changing roles and everything. Mm. You might as well just see it in, you know, the first one. Yeah, Uh, no, I I think the book's the way to go. And then, then, uh, see, see, let's see if there's an audio book of it. There should be, right? (laughs) Ira Levin's famous. <laughs> you feel like it. You yeah. Think. And that story's famous. Yeah, should be. Uh, I did hmm. want to mention mm-hmm. also, um, I, I sidetracked us from the witch chapter. Oh, yeah. But um, there was a thing where we were talking about how Neil Gaiman can take all these different influences. And, you know, he talks a lot about how he spent so much of his time as a child in libraries, yes. just reading everything. And I think that's part of what goes into it, too. You may or may not recognize what forms your imagination. And he probably does, of course, now, but it's all there, you know, just kind of going together, coming out in different ways. And in this, what struck me, I really loved the fact that what tempts Bod into being where he shouldn't, which is the witch's grave, is an apple. He oh. thought he'd eaten all the apples from the tree, but there was one red one that he couldn't quite reach, <laughs> and the branch yeah. breaks. Yeah. That's exactly where I am in the book right here. Either. Uh, yeah, and then, you know, it's very tempting, and then he leaves because that gives him knowledge of the witch that he, you know, he's not thinking of her as the witch, but Guess what? It's specifically, but yeah. Me. This is really interesting. I just look at um, I just happened to be bookmarked on that page of the comic book, mm-hmm. and he says, um, "Wish I hadn't eaten all the apples. Wish I'd I'd left." And then he sees the one red apple, right? Mm-hmm. Ten, the <laughs> apple in the apple tree. Just one apple left in the garden. Just eat that one apple, right? Yeah. And then yeah, yeah, because you can have all the fruit, but just not from this one tree. And so then it's he the falls same. And hits the groundskeeper's pile of grass right mm-hmm. um let's and then he sees the witch um who is not what you think of as a witch in the picture she's like she's not horrid looking right she doesn't have monstrous you right know, gobbets of green stuff coming out of her ears or anything like that it's she's just a girl yeah um, right. who was murdered and uh what was she 
the way how's it goes she says um well, why did they kill you they said i cast a spell on some boy, boy. i didn't need to do that to get that boy <laughs> yeah right. which is and then he says, so so you weren't a witch or you know she goes and then i did my death curse and he goes and she goes oh and it worked <laughs> yeah you know so she was a witch but uh, i was realizing that the the him falling out of the tree is parallel with something that happens at the beginning of the book um actually we're told about it happening which is when bod as a baby yeah. gets yeah. out of his crib mm-hmm. he falls um onto a pile of old toys toys wow. of his that he was given for his first birthday which was six months before and also his older sister. So this, there's this pile of old plush toys that, you know, break his fall and prevent him from crying because if he cries, then he knows back then they put him <laughs> back in the crib, right? Yep. <laughs> oh, so good. That's a nice yeah. doubling there of, of that. And well, yeah. And because then he, of course, has a new, he decides he's going to do this kind thing, but it sends him out into danger. Mm-hmm. Right. Into the big world, yeah, where Jack here, Jack is going to hear about him. But anyway, so it's that thing of, um, yeah, I just kind of when you were talking about, like I say, all the influences, he's using all the influences, but very naturally. Mm, yes, mm. nothing's forced. It's very. Yeah. This is. I don't know. I don't know how like m- the me- the mechanisms of writing. I find um, kind of mysterious uh, the way I, when I write a good story, and you know. It's like a six six sentence story that's pretty funny. <laughs> you know, it's got horrible things happening, and then there's a joke at the end, right? Like just a little six sentence story. Uh, it's all um, under the. There's no planning consciously. It's all unconscious and setting up patterns and stuff like that. Um, I would hate to find somebody says I'm gonna be the next Neil Gaiman, and they've got this whiteboard and they're pasting all these little stickers and doing because it, it doesn't feel like it's all. It's no, all he's, planned out like that. Feels very natural. And well, if if it turns out that you can just do it like a recipe like that, I'm kind of upset because <laughs> I, I want the magic. I don't think you can you know? because then you're taking out all his personality and imagination and will. But I do think that you know he's writing these chapters separately, and it takes him years and years, as he says. But think about the Lord of the Rings, where Tolkien said. After he was rereading his first draft, he went, oh, I mm. saw without me realizing it, there were all these Catholic things in there. So I just mm. kind of bumped them up a little as I went and <laughs> kind of connected them a little more. Nobody who doesn't know what those are notices them mm. or cares mm. about them. When they're, as a Catholic, when they're pointed out, you just fall on your butt because, oh my goodness, they're very deep and meaningful. But who cares? You know, that's the thing of a good book, a good author, a good movie, any of that. If if you have to be forced to see the connections, it's not a good story. And the mm-hmm. story has to pull you along. Mm-hmm. And that's what Neil Gaiman can do that somebody with a whiteboard cannot do. Right. But I could see him rereading it going, oh, you know what I like about this? Let's make it an apple tree right, and not right. something else. Let's, yeah. let's have this line and let's have him fall on this thing. And it's like, because that's just crafting your work. Well, I think a lot of it does come down to that. Like you, it is, a, I think a lot of it is unconscious. And then when it's in the rewrites that it, that you do, but you just said mm-hmm. you punch it, you punch it up. Yeah. Yeah. A little, little bit of crafting. Uh, even in my roof, little roofer world, I've got, oh, a, I've got yes. a uh, orchard, you know, right beside the hill and, and yeah. apples. 
right? right. I don't know. That's, That's right. That's how it is. Is it is because it it's yeah. iconic? I don't know. I just put that there. But <laughs> as as the things, you know, like I, looking, I have most of the original drawings. I'm looking at them like I can see things evolving, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, like punching things up, as you say. Um, and it 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 is really fun to visit this this i I can i don't talk ever about rereading books you know like it's not my thing (laughs) um i I reread it for this podcast but i was thinking you know wouldn't be so bad to reread this again sometime (laughs) because it's so (laughs) warm and comfortable and easy reading and and then when you when you run out of him you have to go back right right well and that's the thing about rereading i've been Having to, or even rewatching, I've been for this movie discussion group stuff I do. Mm-hmm. I've had to rewatch things recently, like The Queen and a couple other things where I'm just going, Oh my gosh, I know this movie, but you know what? It's probably been four years and you're watching it going, Oh yeah, I know the big stuff, but look at all these little things mm-hmm. that I forgot or never noticed or everything else. And that's the beauty of rereading my project this year kind of a project is to reread a bunch of the books I have. Do I need to give them, have they earned my shelf space? (laughs) Well, you know, am I going to want to ever read them again? Or did I just like them at the time and read them once more? And then it's been 10 years Mm. and it's surprising. I'm enjoying it so much because, you know, I've curated my own book list (laughs) Mm. and each one I start going, I know this book. And then I'm delighted with it partway through it's a new year, so that will change. But it's that same thing that you're saying, Jesse. It's you're revisiting all these things. Um, and then the other thing I think about you putting the apple tree next to stuff or whatever mm-hmm. is part of that is deep in our cultural, I don't know, unconscious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've really been become aware of that watching. As you know, I've been on my we had a year of Bollywood. Mm-hmm. We watched 43 Bollywood movies last year. Wow. Most of them from last June to the end of the year. And and we are still going strong. And one of the things that we've noticed, especially in movies that have some certain sort of like uh, legal, especially or police moral situations, we'll come away going, oh, man, I can't believe they went this way with that. And that's when we go, oh, Western culture, we branched off. Vengeance is looked at very differently in a lot of Mm. these movies. Mm. And you go, oh, this is the very deep cultural underpinnings of Christianity and everything that grew from that kind of thinking over thousands of years. Mm. They don't have that. They've got a different kind of cultural thinking. Mm -hmm. And we're so similar on so many things that when it hits these few points, we're always shocked and taken aback. But it's legitimate for them you know, in their culture and as they're telling the story. Mm-hmm. And so you with that apple tree, that's part of who we are as Westerners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Northern European <laughs> Europe is full of apple trees. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and beet soup. I, 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 uh, <laughs> there's a ghost outside. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I was worried it was a cat. Thank goodness. it's a cat. Gracious lady, this I pray, join me in the macabre. Step and turn, walk and stay. Now we dance the macabre. I just love that you can pronounce macabre. <laughs> macabre. <laughs> I know, it's great. We don't know what it is. We just no. are saying it. <laughs> I literally didn't know what it was. I was like, what's the macabre? And it rhymes. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know. Oh, good book. Exactly. 
What's Ace barking at there? I don't know. I'm trying to will her to stop, but she's not listening to my <laughs> to my thought yells. The I squirrel think a, is stronger. There's, yeah, there's squirrel. Or, there's a man jack oh, in the yard. Somebody just came in the house. That's why. Oh, okay. Good dog. Good dog. Well, I think we're yeah. done anyways, right? Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Okay. Yeah, that was very fun. That was fun. Fun read. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Nope, Scott wrote it. <laughs> Excellent. Did he like it? <laughs> he did. I mean, how can you really not like how, it? Well, who doesn't like it? I was save, it, save it for the podcast. Save it All right. for the podcast. Oh, my gosh. That's the worst. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> if you didn't revel in it, that would help. But okay. <laughs> um, I got a really nice comment from uh, uh, a guy named Paul Chadwick. Uh, on a recent episode of uh, oh. Reading Short and Deep. Um, Paul hmm. Chadwick, uh, it's funny because I know his name, and I'm like, how do I know his name? I was like, oh, yeah, I've read his comics. He's an artist and, I guess, author. Oh. Um, and uh, in the 80s, I collected his comics. I uh, was reading them. He did this book oh. called Concrete, which is like, it's kind of like uh, uh, Swamp Thing, except... It's a guy who got turned into basically a giant block of concrete. <laughs> oh, oh, that's got to be okay. tough. Yeah. And, wow, uh, mobility is severely limited. <laughs> yeah, right. but he was he was like instead of having word balloons, he's he's like thought balloons. And it's just, uh-huh. it's I just found it really like uh, it was pretty interesting because it was one of those independent uh, comics. It was in Dark Horse in the eighties, mm-hmm. which is was uh, pretty. Um, I don't know independent and uh so it was i was like wow that's really really nice comment i was like well thanks uh, i i enjoyed your work now you're enjoying my work that's really great that's neat yeah i mean he's been following me on twitter i've been following him um but uh, a little comment on the blog it's like wow that was a nice no that is great yeah and it's not like i'm going out there saying please leave comments to make my ego feel better (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no um speaking of ego feeling better um i'm doing our uh the show notes for the seton's aunt lisa uh-huh so um uh we'll see how that one turns out but i'm trying to convince everybody that uh seton's aunt is not as bad as, <laughs> as she's made out to be and uh, oh. nobody's having any of it basically <laughs> Because they're correct and you are just a troublemaker. Well, we'll see. We'll see. And you're back at it in the show notes. You just will not let that go. Seton's <laughs> <laughs> hand is the worst. Let's just admit that and move on. Dracula, uh, he wasn't that bad of a guy. I, you know, I, don't, I don't remember arguing that exactly. But, no, but um, to me, they're fairly equivalent. Uh, well, yeah, there's, there's more of a yeah. case for Seton's hand, I think. Um, especially mm, no, we don't need to talk about that now considering how <laughs> shitty everyone else is in the story wrong podcast yeah. <laughs> All right, i'm gonna type in graveyard book what was the quote um it's uh it's on the neil gaiman uh mouse circus website mm-hmm. um i think it's about the creation of the book 
Oh, okay. Read, read there the was an afterword in my book where he yeah, talked. Yeah, there was oh, that might be the same thing. as well. Mm. Okay. Um, anybody listen to the um, full cast version? I did. Most of it. Okay, I good. almost finished it. All right. Um, I listened to part of it. I just didn't have time to listen mm. to the book. But there, what? Just so much homework, Jesse. I'm, my That's, brain is blown. Okay. And I have to admit, teacher, yeah, I get yeah. an F on the other one. On the comics? <laughs> I no, not oh my gosh. Comics. Oh, I didn't even see the comic. No. Okay. On the what is it? The Peter S. Beagle book. Oh, um, okay. I, I couldn't I did listen to that one. Okay, good. I remembered as I was partway uh, like on page three, I went, Oh my gosh, I've tried to read this book three times. Wow. I'll try again for Jesse and I got further, but I still <laughs> hated it so much. I was wow. like, you know, that wasn't say, the point of the podcast. They'll just the have podcast. to tell me about it. Yes. 